70 record closing highs so far for the day. Blasting through a ceiling. In a record-setting IPO. Investors who have been riding the wave. When the stock market is booming, we're made to believe the economy is booming. As the stock market goes, so goes the wealth and the health and economy. So what exactly is the stock market measuring? 98.4 Capital FM, 26th of September 2023. Good evening. A wonderful Tuesday evening for yet another captivating edition of Financial Forecast, a show that seeks to delve into matters, economy, finance, and money matters. Nyambura Ndongo alongside Ken Gishinga, Chief Economist, Mentoria Economics. As you set in and start your new week, take time and get your weekly report every Monday by subscribing to www.mentoria.co.ke. Ken, hello. How has your week been? Uh, many thanks, Nyambura. It's been a wonderful Tuesday, a wonderful start to the week. Um, and, uh, you know, last weekend, I bumped into an enthusiastic listener of this show. Right. And he gave us very good feedback. He says when you go for, or he goes for his evening walk, right. he listens to this show and really can't afford to miss it. And that really gave me some encouragement. How have you been, Nyambura? I have been fantastic and... Uh, talking about the weekend, it was my birthday over oh, the weekend on Saturday. Happy birthday! Thank you very much. And today we also take time to wish a very happy birthday to our very own co-host and our program's director, Danny Muni, who oh. has his birthday today. Oh, wow! Happy birthday, Danny! <laughs> right. So as you're taking your walks, you are listening to us on your device. If you're online, you're catching us at www.capitalfm.co.ke slash listen live on our pod on your podcast you can catch us um where you get your podcast from apple Podcasts, soundcloud our whatsapp line is 0701984984 you can catch us on our socials x facebook at capital fm kenya hashtag financial forecast good afternoon everyone um my colleagues and I remain squarely focused on our dual mandate to promote maximum employment and stable prices for the American people. We understand the hardship that high inflation is causing, and we remain strongly committed to bringing inflation back down to our 2% goal. Price stability is the responsibility of the Federal Reserve. Without price stability, the economy does not work for anyone. So, Ken, who's that? And... Uh what are they talking about? The person you've just listened to, Nyambura, is uh, none other than Jerome Powell, mm -hmm. um, attorney, investment banker, but most importantly, the 16th chairman of the Federal Reserve of the United States. And this was during last week's uh, meeting to announce the monetary policy stance uh, for the next couple of months. I mean, indeed, as you've seen, he really emphasized their mandate uh, which is to really um, achieve price stability while also at the same time ensuring uh, maximum employment. So very, very clear goals being outlined at the very beginning. Ken, I was quick to note when I was watching um, that meeting that he got in and without any pleasantries, he just got right into it. Is that how you economists like <laughs> approach the world? It was just like so cut into it. Good afternoon. As a team, we have decided... Uh, maybe I can play that a little bit later. <laughs> That's a great observation. And indeed, that is the language of monetary policy. Uh, it's very precise. Um, every word matters. Uh, there's no time for how have you been, 
how has how is everybody doing yeah. and you said they get straight to the point where he talks about uh, clarifying the mandate uh, number 2 um emphasizing what the priorities are and also giving the way forward so the language of monetary policy is tends to be very precise mm-hmm. um it's not literature let me let me plead for you okay good afternoon everyone um my colleagues and i remain squarely focused on our dual mandate to promote maximum employment and stable prices for the american people we understand the hardship that high inflation is causing and we remain strongly committed to bringing inflation back down to our 2% goal so what i picked up in that was there were three things he talked about employment inflation and price stability and in the previous shows you have discussed uh, with Danny as well uh, a, a lot about how the US is able to actually measure the economy and using employment as one of the key items and then i think even us here we have inflation and price stability so when they say they are going to okay maybe just take us through what it means for those why those three key elements Well it's very important to recognize that those two particularly employment and unemployment and inflation uh they move in opposite directions um they um they they really they really try to um build on what is called the Phillips curve the mm-hmm. Phillips curve is a theoretical model that argues that inflation and unemployment move in opposite directions right and if you don't balance the two uh-huh. uh, too much inflation can lead to high unemployment right and too much unemployment can lead to low inflation so you have to balance them both and that's why they have those two mandates if you look at uh, many other countries such as Kenya and the CBK mm. don't you have inflation targeting as um sort of like the mandate right. but for them they really try to balance it and I've always said on this on many on many other platforms we need to start looking at both unemployment and inflation because if you let one run away and you neglect the other yeah. you end up with a very very lopsided um economy in that particular clip actually if you play it I can play the second clip since early last year the FOMC has significantly tightened the stance of monetary policy we've raised our policy interest rate by 5 and a quarter percentage points and have continued to reduce our securities holdings at a brisk pace. We've covered a lot of ground and the full effects of our tightening have yet to be felt. Today we decided to leave our policy interest rate unchanged and to continue to reduce our securities holdings. So he has said they decided to leave the policy rate unchanged and reduce the securities holding. What does this mean? So that means exactly what we projected uh, last week. We right. forecasted that um interest rates have um gone particularly high. Mm-hmm. Um inflation is coming down and remember if you look at last week's episode we said there is no need um for further tightening. Sure. And our forecast for last week we said we see the Fed retaining um interest rates. Actually almost the entire market. I think there was almost a 99% consensus that the Fed would leave interest rates um as they are so it was quite significant i mean markets had priced it in so you don't see a lot of the movement you'd have expected yeah. i think for a lot of people it was uh priced in uh, but also what was followed that is the issue of um securities yes selling yes. securities yeah. uh, that's also another tool that they used to control interest rates mm-hmm. if you remember back in 
the pre-COVID, after actually after the global financial crisis, yeah. when interest rates were zero, but the economy was not doing well, they actually moved into to something called quantitative easing, where they bought back bonds. It was an asset purchase program okay. where they buy bonds with the idea of reducing interest rates further. So now they're doing the exact reverse, uh, which you call quantitative tightening. Mm. So pretty much it's, these are the two tools they're using um, to ensure that interest rates uh, remain uh, particularly restrictive. That's the word they typically use yeah. uh, for interest rates. And to ensure that you know the economy is, uh, um, interest rates are high enough to control inflation, but low enough to prevent a slowdown um, of the economy. So those are the mo- most important, that was the, pos- the most important phrase in global finance last week. And we saw a lot of how the market played on uh, based on that those outcomes. So Ken, let me get this, this correct. And speaking to me as a layman who does not understand <laughs> the economic terms and the financial terms, reducing the securities holdings. So I'm thinking securities is the what you, we have at the boss. So when they reduce securities holding, does that mean they want people not to buy? Or uh, so they do not want people? Like how, how does that play out? Ah, so when you talk about securities, this is not actually stock market. Right. This is actually bonds, government yeah. bonds. Uh-huh. So when you want interest rates um, to go down, uh-huh. you buy bonds. Uh, you create demand for bonds and those prices go down. Uh, when you want interest rates to go up, uh-huh. you sell those bonds into the market. So now what they're doing is they're actually selling uh, those securities. So this has nothing to do with equities. This is purely, most of them, long-term bonds, and they're reducing it. But the end objective is to ensure that interest rates are sufficiently high um, for them to achieve their monetary policy stance. Okay. We have learned something there. So, (laughs) okay, there's that part. What does that mean now locally for us, Kenya? Because we're also seeing the government, and I think we're going to be talking about it way much later in the the program. Uh, What does that mean? What does the federal policy meeting mean for us here? So it will affect us mostly on the currency side. You know, many times in the past we've said um, the shilling is weakening because investors are chasing high returns um, in the United States. So every time the Fed raises interest rates, we experience a capital flight, not just from Kenya, but from most emerging markets. So what this uh, pause is telling us is that capital flight um, might be coming to an end. Okay. Um, so we might find some shilling stability. You know, the local shilling has lost about 19% since the beginning of this year. And a lot of people, I think the most common question everybody asks is what's the future yeah. of the shilling? And much of it is tied to what's happening with the dollar and the Fed. So this particular uh, pause was good for us and for most emerging markets. Yeah. It gives a reprieve. But... Uh, in that clip, much, much later on, we're not going to play it, um, he talks about there being high interest rates a bit lo- higher for a bit longer. Right. So I think markets also took that negative. They're like, okay, they're not re- increasing interest rates, but they might increase, they might retain it uh, for a much longer time. In fact, some expectations is the first cuts might be coming next summer. So markets took that negatively. That's why you're finding the equities um, today, most of them, the S&P, the Nasdaq, the Dow, they're all talking that negative that we, we live in these 
um, high interest rate environment for a bit longer than we had expected. Uh, Ken, before we, we get fully into the equities which you have actually discussed, there were also two other meetings, Bank of Japan and Bank of England, which were meeting last week. So for Bank of England, our prediction was that they are going to raise and then for Bank of Japan, they were going to hold. So what was the outcome? <laughs> uh, we got it wrong <laughs> on the Bank of England. <laughs> I know you're already smiling. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but so did the market. I think it, it actually came as a surprise okay. uh, just because of how aggressive um, the United Kingdom has been in uh, reining in um, inflation. So there had been that expectation. So it actually was a surprise to most of the markets. But I think it was a good surprise. I think even the UK needs to put a pause. Uh, mortgages. Uh, people are struggling with their mortgages. Yeah. Uh, people are struggling refinancing uh, their vehicles and such things. So it was a pleasant surprise. But yeah. for the Bank of Japan, it's exactly what you talked about. Yeah. Really, yeah. them leaving our rates unchanged. And um, really... Still, in that negative, I know we talked about what negative interest rates mean yeah. a couple of episodes ago, but yeah. really keeping things a bit stable. But also, Japan is also trying to see how it can hit those inflation targets. So, Japan is trying to achieve inflation when other countries are trying to slash back um, to achieve lower in inflation. It, it shows almost it's a tale of two cities mm -hmm. uh, really playing out on, on global markets. But, yeah, but it was a very central bank heavy uh, week. Uh, last uh, last week, obviously, we'll have our own CBK meeting okay. next Tuesday. Mm -hmm. So it'll be good to see how that plays out. Certainly. And now you've talked about the equities. Everything is down, like uh, other than the FTSE, by the way. Every other every other equity is down. And you have said that it is a reflection or maybe of what the policy meeting came out with and how they are actually seeing that they're going to maintain at that rate, right? Now, the commodities, for the first time, all natural energy commodities are all down. That is new. We have not seen that quite some time. What do you think would have caused this? Well, the, I think that the two uh, key drivers here, number one is pretty much um, uh, the impact from the Fed meeting. Um, the idea that we live in a high interest rate world for a bit longer than we had expected. Mm -hmm. Naturally, that means... Um, the cost of credit will be high. So obviously growth will be low and that's where you're finding most of the stock market. Yes. So I think the commodities are also playing off that uh, off that uh, rhythm of a high interest rate world, uh, more expensive credit and a poorer business environment. So you're finding commodities down. But there's also the issue of really the Russian dynamic. You know, Russia, at one day following the Fed yes. meeting, you know, issued an interesting statement saying that okay. they are banning the export of um, diesel and diesel products. And that really got energy markets um, sort of uh, a bit uh, up in arms because, mm -hmm. you know, countries like Kenya, most of Africa, we depend on this imported um, fuel. And remember, Saudi Arabia and Russia had already been cutting supplies into yeah. the market. So not only are they cutting the supplies, but they're also killing off their exports. So that caused a bit of turmoil in the energy markets and I think that's um, though I, there was an amendment yesterday mm -hmm. to that ban uh, but still I think it still rattled um, um, particularly the diesel, diesel sub-segment of the oil markets. 
And that also is definitely going to affect us coming that we came from having our fuel prices, all fuel, uh, petrol, diesel, and uh, kerosene, all being increased. So do we anticipate that, I don't know, when as, as our leader said, our energy sector, and said that the fuel prices are likely to keep going up and up and up all until February, was that one of the indicators that they could actually foresee? Well, this comment, uh, uh, well, this statement came after that. Mm. Um, so at that time when uh, the CS was talking about that, I think he was referring to the impact of Saudi Arabia and Russia reducing um, their production into the market by about almost a million barrels. So a significant reduction of oil going into the market. But this latest development is, I think, is going to be temporary. Okay. This is um, Russia doing what Russia does, <laughs> really. Um, and there are dynamics on why this is happening. Um, there's sort of a shortage. Um, the Russian ruble has really lost value. Right. And the pre- Russian presidential elections are really right around the corner. Oh. So it's it's a very tense time, and I think they had to almost play to the domestic market to protect that. Uh, but also, um, September tends to be the harvest period. Okay. in Russia. Okay. Um, so the big um, swaths of wheat farms uh, need to be harvested and the equipment that does the harvesting N- needs, needs diesel. So, much. Okay. so a lot of analysts believe this is just a short-term trend that will go through the harvesting season um, into September, then maybe in October uh, or November once the harvest is done and, and once elections are done. <laughs> so they are going to keep the oil, the right, diesel, right. because they need to consume it in high copious amounts correct uh which is going to be much better than just exporting all of it uh, does that just mean for diesel is that um primarily for diesel uh on monday they issued an amendment saying for low quality diesel uh that has already been sort of committed to by some of the companies that will be released so that kind of provided a bit of relief uh but key uh, the key diesel components um, that we all need for our, for all for our industrial mechanism, um, I think they'll keep that on hold. But I really think this is possibly a one two month okay. um, game, just to get through a the harvesting and b the elections. Then we'll f- sort of go back to uh, because they also do need the foreign exchange True. Uh, that comes. Actually, fuel provides uh, much of their foreign exchange, so they do need the foreign exchange that comes with exporting um, those um, sub components. In, particularly in the diesel space. Another interesting uh, observation is that all metals this week, again, are all down, which, if at all you schooled me right, it is in contradiction to the markets because markets are also down. But gold, uh, silver, platinum, copper are all down. So how can we have both markets going down and both the metal commodities going down? Well, it does happen every uh, once in a while, and particularly this uh, depends on inflation outlook and uh, with the Fed um, really eyeing, talking about where they see interest rates going, people able to derive where inflation will look like and that's really, because remember I've always said gold is a hedge yes. against inflation, yes. so anytime you see gold moving in that direction, it gives you commentary okay. on where people are expecting inflation to be. Now inflation outlook right now is still a bit dicey because what's happening with the energy if we find the likes of Saudi Arabia continue with these cuts, then we'll, we'll see in inflation creeping in. So it's a time where there's still a bit of unclarity on where the outlook on inflation will be because of 
how important energy is yeah. in driving this and i think that's what's really playing particularly with um with gold so we are likely to see maybe it's just going to this week and then maybe okay we cannot predict <laughs> as we've seen we've predicted once in a while we are right yeah times you're wrong so we'll see how it plays out um say next week uh agricultural i think there was only uh coffee is up uh cotton is up but sugar is down which has uh, not happened quite some time and lumber uh wheat is also up i think maybe because you know it's harvest season um would you have any input into the agricultural sector in terms of what's happening uh, globally weather weather definitely is a big driver in what you call the soft commodities and this is beyond what you've just said it's other things like orange juice yeah. uh, live cattle raw sugar cocoa we all these things about olive oil last week yes indeed so yeah. the climatic impact is going to constrain the supply side of most of these uh, if you look at orange juice uh, the biggest orange producer in the united states is in florida mm-hmm. and florida has been hammered by hurricanes so you find something like that really uh, complicates the orange juice market yes. and 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 that so i think climate will be when it when for people trading um soft commodities agricultural commodities the climate outlook is absolutely essential because it's changing every day and it has such a big impact and that's what you find really uh, much of it has been going up almost against the grain of other commodities what you call the hard the hard commodities okay uh, so after we've we've looked at you know we've talked about gold and there was something that was happening regionally and uh we saw Tanzania start the commencement of the gold domestic purchase program uh are they also foreseeing that you know there's going to be a change in the foreign currency that now they are going into gold um I, I think now we, we can just uh, talk about how we are regionally. And and that that statement had been doing rounds on social media. Yeah. Really, the Bank of Tanzania are uh, really piling up on gold, and um, almost to bump its reserves. Yeah. So I think for them, first of all, uh, if you look at that communique, it's going to the domestic uh, producers, the domestic mines. Right. Uh, and and they'll be paying them in shillings Tanzanian shillings so i think it's a way of faster uh, boosting the the mining sector because now you have an easy market uh, which is the government the central bank but many central banks do um have that tendency um to put gold as part of uh their reserves i remember earlier this year we looked at the cbk yeah. um snubbing that attempt and 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 with good reason but you do you do find some central banks and some commercial banks actually uh opting to keep that as not only just a guard against inflation yeah. but just to diversify their holdings so if you have all these foreign currency reserves uh foreign currency in your reserves but also using gold you know which at some point was a currency in the older world we talk about the gold standard so it is a currency in its own right so i yeah. think it's central banks diversifying and really using that as an opportunity to uh, be able to hold now different central banks keep different amounts i think for cbk it's almost 0.01% very very tiny 
uh, and that but you'll find some central banks like India mm-hmm. really maintaining huge huge reserves so it's 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 a diversification strategy away, away from the just the normal currencies and 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 those are sort of like the sentiments that drive it so i want to find out like the local kenyan our kenyan we keep the gold reserves but at a minimal um would you call it a minimal amount or a minimal rate at a minimal amount i think it's about 0.01% okay. of our total reserves you know when you talk about uh our reserves uh, nyambura um a lot of people assume our reserves are just in usd yes a lot of people believe you go to the vaults and you'll find this cash in this usd dollars, yeah. that's actually not the case what's actually the case is this a variety of currencies you'll find japanese yen you'll find sterling pound right. you'll find your zambian kwacha all those currencies but for accounting reasons they give you the dollar okay. equivalent right. of that of amount that. So it, yeah so you'll find a lot of because if you know if you needed to go to um qatar next week and you needed the qatar what dirhams yeah <laughs> they would be able to sell that to you because it's in their reserves so one should think of the reserves as many different country currencies but okay. for reporting purposes they give They're you the dollar equivalent okay. of of that so it's not just pure dollars so what these people are saying is let's just add gold too as part of those many currencies okay. uh that are in our reserves we'll call we shall come back and talk about south sudan because mm. as we are, we've been discussing about the dollars there's also something happening on that side for now let's take a short break and we shall be back after the break Welcome back 98.4 Capital FM. You are listening to Financial Forecast with myself Nyambura Ndongo and alongside Ken Gishinga, Chief Economist Mentoria Economics. You can catch us uh, online at www.capitalfm.co.ke/listenlive. Our WhatsApp line is 0701984984. You can catch us on our socials X, I got it right, Ken. Uh, <laughs> and Facebook at Capital FM Kenya hashtag Financial Forecast. So Ken before the break we were talking about we were going regionally and we have discussed how uh Tanzania has begun the commencement of uh, the domestic gold purchase program and you say that is more th- local. So let me ask they have gold. Do they have gold as part of what do they export it? They do and they have big uh, mining companies. If you think of companies like uh Bari Gold oh. all these are Tanzanian uh companies you know when uh, the late magufuli really in his uh era um used to make the argument that mining companies are not paying their fair share okay. of taxes so there's a bit of reforms uh that happened during that period uh but yeah tanzania has been blessed with quite a bit of natural resources not just gold but also natural um gas um so they are sitting on quite a bit in terms of what they can mine from that country so it's a country with um exceptional potential if they harness um these resources well okay uh, south sudan i was reading on our capital fm business website 
that the Sudanese pound on Sunday hit a record low against the USD amid the civil conflict. That is so close home. And I know we are having, you know, we, we are also seeing locally our Kenyan shillings depreciating. But if it gets to this level, Ken, what does that mean for the economy? Indeed, it was a very steep um, depreciation. I think it went from about 607 mm-hmm. to about 880 pounds. Um, you know, earlier this year, the Bank of South Sudan, which is a regulator and the central bank, uh, placed a ban on USD uh, because I think the the death of it was really stifling economic activity yeah. and really encouraged all banks to sign contracts um, in the local South Sudanese pound. So nine, six, seven months down the road, it's unfortunate because, you know, when this happens, the cost of importing um, go up. So think of the hotels, think of the, man- think of the manufacturing companies. Um, we even have Kenyan uh, companies in South Sudan banks. We have yeah, JCB, we, we have equity, equity, a number of that, all those companies in there. So it is going to place a huge uh, problem on importation. Right. And this country like South Sudan has not built a huge domestic manufacturing base that can produce everything that South Sudan needs. So it's it's going to place a big strain. Uh, but I think it's still a good thing that they are encouraging the local currency um, because you do need economic activity. Currency availability is uh, very, very significantly tied to economic growth. So you can have USD, which is a stable currency, but the shortage of it because they are not able to sell enough gold, which is one of their main sources mm. of foreign exchange. The war has um, ravaged the country. Um, so it, I think it was a good decision to maintain the local currency because it it, it circulates. You really need uh, currency to circulate uh, for economic activity right. um, to, to take place. But uh, indeed, that level of uh, depreciation, particularly for an importing country, yeah. If you're an exporting country, it's not a big deal. But if you're an importing country, then definitely places a big strain on uh, the cost of living and on consumers. But how do countries raise foreign exchange, Ken? Well, different countries have different strategies. Most countries in Africa are anchored on their natural reserves. Right. So you'll find, as I said, South Sudan, they have gold. Tanzania, um, Tanzania have, have gold. gold. You go to Nigeria, they have, have oil. oil. Um, Zambia have copper, um, Ghana have cocoa, right. all these are natural resources. Um, if you think about Kenya, Kenya is a bit unique. We are a very service-driven economy. So you find things such as um, tourism is what brings us foreign exchange. We do mm. have tea and coffee, what you'd call the soft yeah. soft commodities. Horticulture? Uh, horticulture is very, very big. Actually, Kenya is the sixth largest um, export of avocado. In Chile, you are quite a big. So you find in Kenya, we are more agro- uh, tourism right. and diaspora remittances, which have really uh, now become the number one um, source. So I think it's every country has to be able to think about what it can contribute to the global economy. And I think it's an important point because um, Tanzania right now, they're using thick of gold as a buffer to their currency. And even with the BRICS can- countries, we had those BRICS discussion. One mm-hmm. of the things they're talking about is they need to have gold the gold standard back in a way. But I think you have to be very careful because the one thing you have to ask as a country is what does the world demand from us and how do we produce more of it? 
if it's the United States, they'll say it's tech. We need mm-hmm. more iPhones, uh-huh. more cars. For African countries, it's agriculture. So I think it's very important for countries to think, what can we produce that the world really needs? That's the best strategy of making sure that your currency is stable, that you have products the world wants to buy. And if they keep buying, it could be your safaris, it could be your tea, your coffee, but as long as they keep buying, it keeps uh, your currency in demand okay. and provides a stability for that currency. So w- what we are seeing playing out for us in Kenya and the reason why our shilling is depreciating is because also the service, the, the agricultural sector is also not that high, is, is not producing as much for us to export. And then that brings the deficiency. Is that the case? Well, tea has been doing quite well. Mm-hmm. Actually, tea has been doing particularly well. Uh, but you are right. There are some markets um, because of the economic slowdown. They might demand less of avocado. They might demand less of flowers. Mm. Uh, they might def- demand less of French beans just because of the economic slowdown. Yeah. In those countries, um, households maybe are not consuming as much. As they used to, and that can affect. But if you look at diaspora remittances, um, it took a slight dip, but it's pretty has been very stable. Um, I'd say human capital is our gold, yes, and that's what we export to the rest of the world. <laughs> human capital, that's our gold and our oil, and it does give us um, very good uh, revenues. And and I think we now need to start thinking of how do we put that money into more strategic use. Okay, yeah. if, if at all we are importing our human resource and there was a very interesting conversation that came up the other day that uh, we need to be now taxing uh, that this diaspora can we call them remittances but still service providers like if at all I go work would 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 that also be a, a tax line for us you would think um, since it's one of the things that we import I would say I'd be very cautious about that because part of the reason we have a big diaspora is uh, we've not grown our economy to the extent where we can create jobs for the hundreds of thousands of people who live. And we have a great Mm. education system. Uh, People, our numeracy rates, literacy rates are quite high, and we are producing fantastic graduates. Uh, But the economy is not growing enough to absorb them. You know, in Nyambore, when you go to Qatar at the airport, Hamad International Airport in Doha, You'll find so many Kenyans working there, you know, Kenyans in the baggage claims, Kenyans in the bathrooms, Kenyans in the customer service. And you're like, wow, this could have been. And these are people who got great, wonderful grades, speak excellent English, um, could easily be a manager in a company here in Nairobi. So it shows you uh, the fact that we have allowed the diaspora to really get out. Mm -hmm. The worst we can do is tax, add <laughs> taxes on them. It's almost like adding <laughs> insult to injury because you're like, okay, I've not created enough jobs for me. I've gone abroad and, and what I'm trying to send back to, to my family or else. To get it. <laughs> yeah, that, that can bring a bit of a tough situation. But there's also another headline that was um, on uh, business, business Inside Africa that Ghana is actually having such a tough time and uh, there was a comment that they are going into bankruptcy. Is that the case? Um, can we foresee a time where Kenya can get there, considering how, uh, as you mentioned, and we are still going to mention it, our our debt and how we are repaying it? 
plus the depreciating shilling. Yeah, Ghana's story has been quite difficult. You know, for a long time, Ghana was the poster child in Africa in terms of democracy, in terms of economy. Um, they did borrow quite a bit um, to build infrastructure, very similar mm-hmm. to what Kenya did. And uh, they went through a number of euro bonds, um, which were oversubscribed. Now, when COVID came, they also borrowed quite a bit to be able to prevent a recession. Okay. Uh, and in fact, if you look at their debt to GDP before COVID, it was about 62%. Wow. After COVID, it was about 100% of GDP. Now, that could easily have been refinanced in a normal world. But in a world where interest rates are very, very high, high, they got shut out of the domestic market. And a lot of people in Ghana agitated. They are saying the government priorities is spending on things that are not maybe core priorities that governments um, should do. I think in the past I've talked about the principle of subsidiarity, asking governments to focus on things that governments should do. I think think that concept is coming up in Ghana, that should government be in all these things and such, yeah. You have said something to do with uh, they they were shut out of their domestic borrowing. Of the international debt markets, particularly with the euro bonds. Okay. Um, So now if they needed to refinance a euro bond, the yields are sky roof. So it's almost impossible. You know, the concept of refinancing is you want to get lower interest rates. Yes. So you want to retire what you have and borrow at a lower rate. So for them, they're in a situation where if they were to retire it, they'd actually end up with higher interest rates and more repayments. So essentially you get shut out. And the reason that happens is just the assessments you get from the credit agencies, the negative news. So um, Ghana, you know, it's received, this is the 17th time it's gotten uh, support from the IMF. Okay. So it's it's, it's had its challenges, but it has a vibrant cocoa sector. And I always wonder, you know, the countries that um, they export cocoa to, to make chocolate, which they import back, wouldn't it be better for the government to ask those companies to build manufacturing hubs in and Ghana to, uh, to reduce the cost of transportation right. and uh, at least to do production for the African market, if not for the European, then we can at least for the African market sure. and create jobs. Uh, but you don't you don't find that sort of approach uh, very, very commonly. Happening there. Well, does that, do we foresee a, a point where Kenya is probably going to get there? Yeah, it's it's a it's a tough time. You know, when you talk about the first two fiscal months of this fiscal year, eighty four percent of our tax revenue has been um going to service debt. debt. So that's a pretty significant number. Now added to that is the high interest rate environment, um and the weakening exchange rate. In fact, I think on the business daily today the headline was our interest payments for this fiscal year will be about 918 billion shillings. So you're almost getting close to a trillion in terms of interest, just interest payments in a budget of three point something trillion. Wow. So it tells you we are straining. I feel we might get through it. Right. We might get pay that euro bond next year, but the question will be at what cost, at, at, how, at how many taxes will have been increased, how many businesses will have collapsed because of High tax rates, for me, that's the worry. And where will you get money for other services, for salaries, for counties, for yeah. suppliers? So I feel we might cross over that hurdle, but I think the the impact 
um, on that. But the good thing is, as we said at the very beginning of this show about the interest rate outlook, mm-hmm. you know, the Fed um, in that clip, and I think it's a clip that people should watch in entirety because Jerome Powell gives a global vision of where interest rates should be. And he talks about 2025, 2026. So if we start seeing interest rates coming down from next year, you might find even these euro bonds uh, now next year might be easily uh, reserviced. But, you know, with analysts talking about the first interest rate cuts happening in summer next year, right. our euro bond is in smack in the middle of mm-hmm. summer, June 24th. You know, you're, you're getting too close too close. So what? What if that doesn't, you know, pan out? So it's it's it's, a, it's it, and that's why you have to monitor these things almost every week because dynamics are changing, and, and 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 we have to really keep keep really monitor all the aspects of, particularly the things that bring in dollars into the economy. Right. Uh, let's take a short break, and um, once we are back, we shall now talk and see what is happening in our very lovely country, Kenya. Capital FM, welcome back. Financial Focus with myself, Nyambura Ndongo, alongside Ken Gishinga, Chief Economist, Mentoria Economics. Ken, before the break, we were discussing Ghana, and there's something interesting that you've mentioned about, uh, I was asking, if such a situation where Ghana is really struggling uh, with bankruptcy, would Kenya find ourselves there? And you have taken us through our, our borrowing and the euro bond and how the interest rates are likely going to affect how we are going to repay considering that right now our interest rates are absolutely really high but i'm thinking um, and this takes me back to my education there was if at all you are going to be trading with the dollar with the euro with you know any foreign exchange there is what we call hedging maybe you can explain what that is and if at all you know you're going to be borrowing or doing a certain trade or a business with a foreign entity and you can foresee that you know i think by the time um we saw russia and ukraine and we saw all these market forces that are going to probably come into play and at that particular point we were going still into borrowing isn't that where we can put this hedging into place and say you know i i want to anticipate and mitigate my loss that i want to pay this amount of money at this rate that i received it at and every time they go into negotiations, they do have a forecast. Even government has its own forecast. It might not release it mm-hmm. to the public, but they do have uh, a forecast of where they see exchange rates playing out. Um, but the problem of forecasting is um, sometimes it's hard to um, include what we call externalities. Okay. Think of COVID. Yes. You know, nobody in this world for so COVID coming. And COVID is what disrupted supply chains and made inflation go up mm. and interest rates go up. Think of the Russia-Ukraine uh, crisis. You know, that was uh, February 25th last year. Okay, some, some people say you could have seen it coming. You know, very, very deep observers mm. of geopolitics. Yes. You know, people would have said, you know, Russia annexed Crimea 
in 2013 mm. and nobody said anything about it. Right. Uh, Putin wrote an op-ed in the New York Times saying that you know Russia and the United States um, don't have much interaction for a long time. So very, very deep observers of geopolitics would have said there would be a Russia-Ukraine Ukraine crisis, crisis at some point. But even then, it would have been very difficult for them to say it'll happen on February 24th, right. 2021. Ah. I mean, you have to be a genius <laughs> yeah, to be a, And I don't know, maybe they do have geniuses, yeah. Maybe. So that's the problem of uh, forecasting. And we did uh, an episode here on forecasting uh, with a lovely lady from Strathmore. Yes. Uh, and those are some of the things we unpacked, you know, what we called black swans. Right. Actually, that was the word we used, yes. uh, black swans. And that's the problem of forecasting. Now, even if you're a private equity and you're coming into Kenya, and you want to buy uh, Java, for example, you know, you have your dollars Mm -hmm. and you want to know the next seven years when I exit, because these PE firms um, have a maybe five to seven years focus, you know, what will be the exit at that point? So you do have, you know, your forward curves that will get you. But even then, um, they don't include what would be black swan. So that's the difficulty of global finance that a single event um, out of nowhere could even be El Nino yeah. will just come and complicate uh, supply chains and supply chains in inflation goes up central banks now have to revenge with high mm-hmm. interest rates that's the problem of the global uh, globalization right. and one of the people who argue about domestic production they say it, it's more resilient when you have domestic. In fact, one of the big themes that came after COVID is the importance of having robust supply chains within the region. Most multinationals um, have what is called the China plus one strategy, where mm-hmm. they say, yes, we make our iPhones right. in China. But what if one day China shuts down because of COVID? What happens to our investments? Right. So you find most multinationals that uh, do a lot of manufacturing have something called the China plus one. Mm. The plus one means what other country what other? Okay. can step up. And I think the place where African countries like Kenya can really try to elevate our status as the plus hub. one. Right. You know, a place where you have good, uh, excellent talent, people who speak English can converse with the world, good I mean, technical mm-hmm. skills. So I think um, as part of our economic strategy, you can actually position this region to be the plus one. That's a very good where idea, Ken. Supply chains can be. Yeah. So resilience now is a big thing. Uh, but you know, to your point of government officials when they're negotiating contracts, mm. they do have a focus, but like anybody else, like any banker, like any business people, these focuses are subject to disruption okay. by events that okay. are completely out of their scope. So part of the contract is it's the same way insurance would have something like act of God. Like in, in that particular case, even if we really tried to put it within this range, we really can't help it. We just have to uh, cross over into demand and supply. And then that is the prevailing interest rate that you're going to pay to repay the debt with. Okay. Talking about inflation and GDP numbers, uh, we are having um, a bit of information being released next week. Uh, by the Bureau of Statistics, that is inflation, and then Treasury is going to release the GDP numbers. What do you think will be our expectation? So actually, those two data points will be coming out this week. Oh, it's this week. Yeah, on Friday. On Friday. Yeah, we love inflation coming out um, second quarter. 
GDP numbers coming out. Um, I think my projection for inflation, it'll I expect it to go slightly up. Mm. Uh, right now we're at 6.7. I expect it to slightly go up to about maybe 6.9. I'm taking uh, note. About <laughs> 7. Largely driven by the fuel, right. uh, the, the fuel increase, but also the taxes, the new taxes mm. that have kicked in. I think those two uh, might uh, blend into... Um, knock up inflation okay. by a couple of basis points. On second quarter GDP, you know, I, I still expect it to be lethargic. You know, we talk about, I think Q1, we talked about 5.5. Yeah. I think it might still be about 5.2. I think it's actually going to be lower um, than, than, the, than, the, than Q1, but, but way to be seen. But the ag sector has um, proved to be resilient because mm-hmm. of the good so I think I might f- I find it to be just maybe at par with Q1 numbers okay. or slightly slightly lower. Uh, the second half of the year tends to be more vibrant mm. than the first half. So you'll find Q3, Q4 numbers tend to be more mm. better right. than Q1 and Q2 numbers. I think just people just do more activity mm. um, as they try to wind up the year. You know, especially as we are entering Q4, all the things that you've not done, you sort of want to do it. So. Uh, so if I expect there to be a bit of um, lethargy in Q2, but Q3 and Q4 numbers to be quite. Our the CBK are also releasing next week on Tuesday. That is the MPC reports that will. Of course, we're going to be looking at how how uh, that is um, what the information they're going to release. But still, how how would you foresee that being the outcome? Yeah, it's going to be a very interesting one because um, looking at their global peers. Right. Uh, who are holding interest rates. I think the CBK tends to also look at what the goal global peers are. But in a situation where inflation is going up, and but marginally, so there's a toss-up between do we raise rates or do we uh, hold rates? Now, the mm-hmm. problem is when you continue raising rates, the default rates, if you look at um, default rates among SMEs, yes, they've been quite but NPLs, they have been quite high. So I feel it'll be an awkward moment where inflation numbers could tick up, yeah. but they might say we will hold interest rates uh, largely due to we believe the, the full impact of mm. uh, the monetary policy stance hasn't played out. Uh, but yeah, I think there's still, I think the data points that come on Friday. Right. will play a big role um, in that. But definitely there is a mood that tightening now is possibly not the way to go, particularly when the way businesses could be straining. Uh, but, you know, their mandate is to rein in inflation. So I expect it to be, it might actually be a, a coin toss right there. Well, for sure, the government is still looking for money. Can And they will, They it would be... Uh, I think it would be okay if at all they would not raise the interest rates any higher because truly, as you say, the businesses are really struggling uh, getting the uh, capital that is required. And we have seen even in previous uh, conversations we've had how we are having SMEs either shutting down or uh, they are just unable to, to operate. But the government is still raising funds and we have seen um, the interest rate also for the one-year T-bill year T-bill and uh, also the the short day T-bills. Um, how do you foresee even government being able to pay off this interest also considering there's still the debt? 
Yeah, you're right. You know, I really worry when I looked at the 91 day, right. uh, really crossing the 15% mark for the first time, I think in about eight years. Okay. It's uh, And for me, I worry about it from two perspectives. Mm-hmm. As you said, ability uh, to, to be reserviced. Right. You know, this, is in, this I think that has service within three months. You I have need to my pay money it back. back, yeah. <laughs> and if you look at the subscription, we're talking of four hundred and one percent of a subscription. It tells you this: all this money um, that in a normal world would have been in business okay. and building property and buying property and four hundred and one over subscription. And now it's all chasing that okay. ninety-one day uh, paper of um, yeah. It's 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 quite incredible. So it also the crowding out effect that comes, you know, because now when banks are pricing your bank loans mm-hmm. now will they love to load a, a risk premium on that so it tells you the government you know badly needs this cash i think the market is aware right that the government is really uh, really needs uh the money particularly if you look at the comments on the interest payments uh going up but it's very important to remember that you know 91 days is just around the corner, <laughs> you know. Blink next year, even a one-year T-bill, you know, we're talking of June, September next year. That is when we are yeah. doing our debt repayment. And, and and that's why I keep saying this whole issue of Parliament putting a lead saying we need to put a ceiling of debt to GDP right. or 55%, it, it really does not mean anything. What you want to do is ask yourself how much of your debt is due within the, the short term the United States mm. and Japan have far much more debt long, than yeah, Kenya, totally. but their debt is very dated, spaced very, very spaced mm. out, very long term. Actually, if you look at the percentage that's due in one fiscal year, it's about 11, 12%, very minimal. So you have huge quantum of debt, mm-hmm. but the amount that is due right now, it's small. Kenya, we have less debt than the States, but all of it is really due yeah, very 91 period. days, one year. So you can, you can, even before you breathe, <laughs> you have uh, you're due. Ba- yeah, you're due to <laughs> but is that is that one of the conversations governments are meant to be having like what what really says into this is the period I'm going to give you do I have the liberty to choose as well, a government well, well first of all they do have a strategy they they, they, they do have a strategy of trying to lengthen uh-huh. the maturity profile to make sure and they've done a bit of work of uh, the average duration so of lengthening it so I think that has helped uh, but as you said, we have big needs coming up within the next one year, not least uh-huh. the euro bond. Okay. So it tells you right now there's a bit of short term, and I think the market is sensing this is the time the government needs it the okay. most. So that's why you're finding a lot of um, short term play. Um, th- whether that will complicate their duration mm-hmm. strategy, I think um, I think it will actually, because now you have loading so much um, in short term debt. Uh, but definitely the long term strategy. In fact, that debt ceiling that they are proposing for Parliament, yeah. it should not be about debt to GDP. It should be the debt service to tax revenue. Mm-hmm. And say, what is a debt service to tax? And put a cap on that. Okay. That is what really will boost the economy. Ken, we need to end on a positive note. So, after how hard the economy is, then does that mean that I need to be investing in my t- in the T-bills and T-bonds because at least I'll be getting something out of... I know we discussed how Kenyans have withdrawn from their circles and the savings are dwindling, but if at all I'm looking to make at least a, a good return, 15% is not that bad, 
uh, 17% is not that bad. Is there hope? I mean, definitely a lot of people are taking advantage of yeah. that uh, short-term um, high interest rates. Uh, the two-year bond, you know, 17%. It's very rare that you'll get those kind of rates. So absolutely, investors are taking advantage. But I think from a government policy side, this is quite destructive because okay. this means you have higher debt repayments. But most importantly, you're taking away, you're mopping money that could be doing business and creating jobs. So I think from a policy perspective, um, they have to be very cautious that we don't go any further north of this. Okay. So I think you're speaking from the government side. So talking <laughs> from a finance person who has money and I really need something. Go for it. So I, I just go to build and bonds. Uh, thank you for your input, Ken, and we keep learning. We've come to an end of our lovely financial forecast show. You can catch this and every other latest episode that we've done on Financial Forecast uh, on our Capital FM SoundCloud page and anywhere else where you get your podcast from. For us, it is good evening and enjoy your week. <laughs>